I saw a video this week that was moving. It was something that is such a wonderful example and sometimes so misunderstood or not applied in our culture. It was from the ACC, the Atlantic Coast Conference, and it was from their cross-country championships. Now, cross-country running is a sport. Um, I, I was never a sport that I did or wanted to do. Some of you may have been cross-country runners. I don't know. And cross-country running, of course, you've got a long, long race to run in front of you. You've got these incredibly fit athletes. These were um, the women uh, racing, uh, 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 women in college who were running at their conference championships. And there was apparently just this grueling stretch as they got to the end of this long race. And a certain college student from Boston College just collapsed only about 30 yards or so from the finish line. And all these runners are running past, trying to get to the finish line, trying to get their personal best, trying to reach their best time. It was their place that they were going for in the conference championships, one of the biggest races of the year, perhaps the biggest race they would ever run. And this video caught as this woman just collapses out of exhaustion, a runner from another team, a runner from another team stops just yards from the finish line and begins trying to pick her up and carry her across the finish line. Now, mind you, this is a woman who's been running her own race. She is exhausted and she's trying to beat a time, right? She's trying to place as high as she can and she, and she picks her up, but she's struggling probably because she's exhausted. And this woman who has who collapsed, her legs are not even moving. I mean, she is literally just dead weight. She can't even get anything going. And runners just are streaming past, beating her, passing this woman who had who had run ahead of them to that point. And suddenly another woman stops from another team, three separate teams represented. And the two of them literally dragged her arms kind of around their shoulders across the finish line. What would you have done in that race where you're running maybe the biggest race of the year would you have sacrificed your place, your time, your position, your team performance to tell someone who had collapsed, it's worth it that you cross the finish line? Now, this was such an incredible depiction of love, and I think it is so such an example to us because... We, over these last several weeks, and as we went through Hebrews chapter 11, we were focusing on a race. This chapter begins by saying, we have such a great cloud of witnesses that are testifying to us. Therefore, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. And I think automatically, as Christians, when we think about that race, we think about my race, the race that God has put before me and striving to run that race well. But sometimes we forget that all of us have a race 
and that in a certain sense, we are all in a race together, different tracks, different times, different seasons of life. And yet all of us are participating in a race. And I want you to look with your Bibles with me in chapter 12 and verse number 12. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 12. Notice the exhortation that the author of Hebrews is making for us. He's telling us, wherefore, given everything I've said to this point, lift up, the idea there is of strengthen, lift up the hands which hang down. Say, what does that mean? Well, think of a race. You're running like this. What happens when you get too tired? You put your hands down and you walk or you just stop. He says, pick up the hands, lift up, strengthen the hands that have fallen down because they're too tired. And now look. And the feeble knees. Lift up, strengthen the feeble knees. What are feeble knees? Like that woman at the ACC championships who had collapsed and literally they dragged her across the finish line. She could not put one foot in front of the other. Just exhausted. Now, in an individual sense, he's talking to you to pick up your own hands and pick up your own knees and be strengthened yourself. But scholars tell us that the, way, the, te- the tense that he uses here in the Greek, the tense that he uses does not just mean you. It means pick up other people's hands. Pick up other people's knees. In fact, he's not just making an exhortation to you as an individual. He's making an exhortation to you to do some strengthening of others. Notice then, go on to verse 15. It's even more clear. He says to all of us to be looking diligently lest any man, anybody, fail or fall short of the grace of God. Again, picture this woman collapsing on the track. She has no strength left in her. She can't get across the finish line. And two runners look diligently to pick her up and carry her to where she needs to go. You see, one thing, the simple point that I want to make for us today is that you are in a race, but you are not in a race by yourself. You are in a race with every Christian. And in that race, what is essential if we are going to be people of faith is that we recognize that this is a team effort. The title of the message this morning is simply a team effort. Do you look at your race as a team effort? I want us to see three things from this passage I think that will be helpful for us to see our Christian race as being a part of this team effort. First of all, a necessary perspective. Secondly, a necessary priority. And thirdly, a necessary practice. A necessary perspective, a necessary priority, a necessary practice. What is the perspective that we need if we're going to look at our race as a team effort, and if we're going to lift up the hands that are hanging down and the feeble 
even this word has the idea of being paralyzed potentially, the paralyzed knees. Well, here's the first thing. And it goes against, it cuts against the grain of our modern church philosophy. The modern church philosophy is this. The church is an institution or an entity that is supposed to serve you. So find the church that serves you the best. Do you know how prevalent that is across American Christianity? And what it is, is it treats the, the Christian as a consumer. What is a consumer? Well, we're going to know what consumers are because what happens at the end of every year? Oh no, we've got to go Christmas shopping. And suddenly we go on Black Friday and all these other things. We're consumers. And what consumers do is they look at the services, the products being offered by a particular institution and they say, I'd like that one and I'd like that one and I'd like that one, but I wouldn't like that one. Or we walk into a store and we look around and we say, there's nothing here for me. Let me go to the next one. We're shoppers. We're consumers. And you know, if you were to go to so many church websites today, even good Bible preaching churches, do you know you would effectively see a consumer mentality? I was just watching a video on a church. I'm sure it seems like they preach the gospel. I'm sure they're doing good things for the cause of Christ. I'm not intending to be overtly or expressly critical of them. They, I have no doubt they mean well. But I watched the video of the pastor introducing people to this church and he was telling them how they were going to feel during the worship. He was going to be telling them exactly what they were going to receive out of the sermons each week. He was telling them exactly, showing video of, the, of these sparkling children's facilities. And your children are going to enjoy it so much in this teaching. You're just going to love it here. And it got done. And I, I told Tabitha, I said, I felt like they were advertising a health club. I felt like they were advertising a local lifetime fitness. Here are the amenities in the church that you will find. Come to our church to receive these amenities. Now, let me ask you, do we find that perspective in Scripture? How many videos, how many promotional materials across our American Christian church says, come to this church and you'll have an opportunity to lift up and strengthen some weak hands of other people and some feeble knees. Come to this church and you'll have a great opportunity to serve people and to love them sacrificially. It cuts against our consumer mentality. And I'm very grateful. I'm very grateful for the, the example of my father who founded this church. That he said from the very beginning of this church, we will never do advertising at Straight Gate. We'll never do advertising. We're not, we're not marketing. We're not trying to promote the brand of Straight Gate Church as an institution. And I can promise you by God's grace, as long as I am in leadership here, we will never try to cultivate a consumer mentality here. We will never try to attract people to Straight Gate Church by telling them how great the services are here, how wonderful they can expect to, to be served in this place. Because frankly, we don't want a consumer mentality here at church. What we want at church is not to be a place for consumers, but to be a place for caregivers. Do you see the difference? 
A church is not an institution to feed and to serve in terms of our priority. A church is a group of people that serve each other and give care to each other. And therefore, what we should hold out to others is exactly the the example of Jesus Christ. Exactly the example of him who came not to be ministered unto, who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Are you a consumer at church or are you a caregiver? Are you focused on how an institution can serve you Or are you focused on how you can serve people and give care to them? And I, my commitment to this, as I've reflected on this, is so significant, I would rather have every time a very small church that knows how to serve each other and love each other than a very big church that has attracted people with a consumer mentality. Because ultimately, it is not for our benefit. It is not for our church growth. It is not for our spiritual benefit to view our lives as consumers in our modern American church movement. You see, this is exactly the idea of what Paul says in Galatians 6 when he says, Bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? The law of Christ is love. The law of Christ is humble service. The law of Christ is giving care. The church is not a place for consumers. The church is a place for Christian caregivers who are looking, actively seeking to lift up weak hands, to lift up weak knees and encourage people in their walk with Christ. So first of all, here's this necessary perspective. It cuts across the grain of our modern American Christianity that views church as a place to be a consumer. No, church must be a place to be a caregiver. Secondly, it's a necessary priority that we need to see. Not just a necessary perspective, but a necessary priority. Verse 12, look back with me. Wherefore, Lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God. What is the necessary priority we need to have to be a caregiver, to be those caring people in their spiritual race. The first thing to recognize is this isn't natural. This isn't natural for us to be caregivers in this sense. And we know this isn't natural because the Bible tells us that. In fact, in Philippians chapter 2, Paul is writing to this church at Philippi. He loved these people, but he was distant from them. He was in imprisonment. He couldn't come and see them. And he said to them in Philippians 2, he says, I'm going to send Timothy. I'm going to send Timothy and he's going to find out how you are doing. And listen to these words that he uses. He says, for I have no man like-minded. He was saying, other than Timothy, 
I have no man like-minded with that same mind who will naturally care for your state, who will be a caregiver. He said this, for all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ's. All. Now, Paul had some spiritual-minded people around him. Maybe he just didn't at this time. We don't exactly know. All we know is that he was looking around to the left and to the right and say, I, I've got no one other than Timothy who's going to naturally be a caregiver for your faith. This isn't natural to us because we are so prone to focus on our own needs on our own problems, on our own race. Our hands are hanging low and we can't look at anyone else's hands. Our knees get weak and we can't bother. We can't even think of looking at someone else's knees whether they're weak. Jesus said the second great commandment in all of the law across all God's moral laws is this, love your neighbor as yourself. And he doesn't mean by that you need to learn to love yourself first. He's assuming that you already do. He's assuming that I already do. And he's saying the same love that you naturally give to yourself, give to other people. That is God's plan. It is his moral obligation for humanity. So not only are we going to have to cut against the grain of our modern American Christianity, at least in, in many of the ways I think our culture has viewed it, we're going to have to cut against our own nature to be this kind of caregiver, lifting up hands which are hanging down and lifting up feeble knees that have been weakened. And that means if it's not natural, it needs to be cultivated by us. If it's not natural to us, that means a part of our Christian lives is going to be developing it in us. And notice here in verse 15, he says that as a part of our focus, we need to look diligently. That's important. The idea here is of inspecting. Have you ever gone through an inspection? Some of you may have been in the military at some point. You knew what a real inspection was, a real once over and twice over and thrice over. What does it mean to inspect? To see if anyone is falling short of the grace of God. It means I need to be looking. It needs, means I need to be looking Carefully. In fact, the same word, looking diligently, is used in 1 Peter 5 to speak of the oversight that pastors and elders should have over a church. Do you know what that tells me? It tells me that the oversight of a church is not just about the leadership. Sometimes it's easy for us, especially if we're in a consumer mentality, we recognize the needs around us. But do you know what we might be tempted to say? Let's pay someone else to do that. Let's pay the pastor to take care of people. Let's pay the, the leadership to do that work. And I don't need to do that. That's, that's their job. Well, I can tell you I'm not paid to do that. I'm, I'm just kidding. Of course, I'm not paid. But part of the idea here is that the caregiving of a church is not simply top-down from the leadership, though that's a real responsibility for us to take the oversight. It is for all of us bubbling up. 
It is for all of us to be looking diligently for hands that are hanging down and knees that are hardly walking anymore and finding ways to lift them up. Can I tell you how remarkable a church you are to have this kind of DNA already be a part of who you are? Do you know how encouraging it is for me as a pastor to see so many of you doing this right now without ever being asked, without ever being directed to do it? Maybe I reach out to someone who seems to be struggling and I already see, oh, someone's already beaten me to it. They're already encouraging. They're already discipling. They're already coming alongside. These hands are already being lifted up. This is already a part of the DNA of our church. And what I'm challenging all of us today is let us increase in that. Let us abound in that love and that caregiving for other people, recognizing that someone else may be struggling, but someday I'm going to be the one whose hands need to be lifted up. My knees are going to need to be strengthened. And in this way, we all are encouraging each other. You see, if you can just imagine your own race that you're running through, sometimes you're going downhill, it's on a decline, and it things feels like your steps are coming really nicely and easily, and the sun is shining, and the birds are chirping, and things are feeling really good. And then other times, you're on an uphill climb, and there are thunderclouds in the sky, and it's dark around you, and you feel like you're tripping over everything, and you're getting exhausted and tired. The point is that all of us are at different places in our race. Some of you are going uphill and really struggling and tired right now, and some of you are on a flat plane, and some of you are, are on a downhill, and you're feeling strong. The point is we're all at different places which is exactly why we need to be looking diligently, looking diligently for those that we can encourage, that we can strengthen. Here's what Hebrews 10 says. Actually, just look back with me, will you? Just a chapter and a half here to Hebrews chapter 10 in your Bible. Do you know this is exactly the reason for us to be faithful in church, in church services? In verse 24 of chapter 10, he says, and let us consider one another. The idea there is of looking at, studying each other. Let us consider one another to provoke, to stir up, to love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. Some people are forsaking the, 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 the gathering together of the church, but rather exhorting one another and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. Why do we come to church on a Sunday morning? We don't come to church on a Sunday morning to consume. We come to church to give care to each other, to see how each other is doing, to look at each other and inquire how their week has been, how they can be encouraged, how they can be strengthened. And you know what the wonderful point of the body of Christ is? When you give yourself to lift up other people's weak hands and their feeble knees, do you know what at least I so often have found? Mine get encouraged in the process. Mine get strengthened. When I reach out intentionally to serve someone else and meet their needs, do you know how often I find that mine have suddenly been met by the grace of God? Do you remember what we've been focusing on week after week here most recently? When we are struggling with our own burdens and our own cares and our own difficulties, when we focus on them, what happens? 
we only get more tired and only more discouraged. We've been focusing on looking to Jesus and waiting on him and being patient for his work to come out in our life. Do you know what the next corollary, the next step is? To start looking at others' burdens. To start looking not on my own needs, but on the needs of others and trusting that God is going to strengthen me in the process. Do you know there's a biblical proof for this? Do you know that for some of us who are feeling discouraged today, the message from God to you today might be, start looking for who else is discouraged and start focusing on encouraging them? Turn back to your Old Testaments, will you? I want you to turn to 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19 in your Old Testament. Keep a finger in Hebrews chapter 12. 1 Kings chapter 19. This is the story of a man named Elijah. Elijah was one of the greatest prophets, one of the greatest spokesmen for God who ever lived. And Elijah worked so faithfully for God and he was opposed and, they try, and the king, uh, uh, king and queen of Israel tried to have him killed and one day he just got discouraged. One day he just, his knees gave out, his hands were hanging low and he said, I'm ready to be done. And he just fled. He just ran. And 1 Kings tells us the story of God meeting with him and giving him food that he needed and giving him rest and sleep that he needed. There is a lesson there. God does want to take care of your physical needs. He does want to make sure that you are getting the nourishment bodily that you need when you're going through a tough time. But what I want you to notice, after God gives him this rest, after he gives him this food, notice what happens. God asks him, Elijah, what are you doing here? And then look with me at verse 14. This is the discouragement of Elijah's soul coming out in verse 14 of chapter 19. He says, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant. They've thrown down thine altars and have slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left. God, I'm all alone in this. And they seek my life to take it away. Now, how do you think God's going to respond to him, to encourage him? Notice what he says. And the Lord said unto him, go, return on thy way. He says, hey, God says, all right, you think you're the only one left? I've got a job for you. Go, return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when thou comest, anoint Hazael to be king over Syria, and Jehu the son of Nimshi shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel, and Elisha the son of Shaphat of Abel-Meholah shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room, and it shall come to pass that him that escapeth the sword of Hazael shall Jehu slay, and him that escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay, yet I have left me, 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which hath not kissed him. Did you notice how God encouraged this prophet that was just ready to be done? He said, Elijah, I've got a job for you. Go anoint Hazael, go anoint Jehu, go over here and anoint Elisha to be your successor. And off he went. Now, 
my challenge to us today is that sometimes when we are feeling downcast, when we are feeling discouraged, when we're feeling weak like Elijah does, we're feeling like we're ready to give up, God may come and tap us on the shoulder and say, there's a job for you to do. I've got work for you. There's someone else that might need your encouragement today. There's someone else that might need to be cared for. And then God's going to give us the strength to do it. He's going to give us the grace to follow through and encourage those that he has put before us. The necessary perspective is that we're caregivers. That's our calling as Christians, to love and to serve like Jesus did. Our necessary priority means that I can't focus on myself. I must look diligently at those around me in my Christian community, in my church body, to see whose hands need to be strengthened, whose knees need to be picked up. And then finally, we need to see a necessary practice. How can you be an encourager of other Christians? Have you ever been confronted with a, a Christian that you knew was struggling and was having a really hard time and you didn't even know what to say? You said, I don't even know how to encourage them. And there are good things that we do. We bring them meals or we call them or we text them or we do other things. These are good ways to encourage people. But what I want to see from Hebrews 12 is a way that you can be an encourager, not just in a physical sense, but in a spiritual sense. How can you physically, practically lift up those people whose hands are hanging low and whose knees are feeling weak? Do you know so often what the truth is, friends? You need to understand some truth about who God is. Now, I want you to go back to verse number 12, will you? Hebrews chapter 12 here and verse number 12. What is the very first word of verse number 12. What's the very first word? Shout it out. What's the first word? Wherefore. He's telling you that lifting and strengthening and encouraging people around you is based on what he's already told you. He said, because I've told you this, therefore do this. Do you see the connection? Now let's see what he's told us before. What Kevin read for us this morning in here from verse 3 to verse 11 is talking about why people often are discouraged. He's talking about why so often we get tired in our Christian lives. It's because God is training us. It's because God is disciplining us. It's because God is chastening us as this idea here. Notice what he says in verse 5. He says to these Hebrews that were having a really hard time. They were struggling. They were tired. They were, being, they were getting ready to give up. He says, and ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children, my son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. Friends, do you know so often when we are under pressure, when we are discouraged and tired in our Christian lives, it's because God has allowed it in not, not just allowed it, God has brought it into our life to train us, to strengthen our faith, to discipline us. Sometimes we think of God's chastening and we think, oh, that must mean I did something wrong and God's just giving me a really hard spanking. 
But no, that's not just the only idea, I think, here. The idea here is not just, we might say, of, 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 a, of a kind of discipline for correction, for sin, but a general training that God gives into our life. You might think of those who are being trained for a particular sport, who are being trained and instructed in a way, and what is put against them is resistance. If you only had to lift weights and there was virtually no resistance, your muscles would never get stronger. And so it is in our Christian life when God brings in resistance, God brings in difficulty, and what he's encouraging us and challenging us to do is push through it because it is strengthening us. But so often what happens like these, what's happening for these Hebrews is when this resistance comes into our life, we get tired and our hands start hanging low and our knees start getting weak. What are the truths that we need to understand about God to be a good encourager for other people? First thing is this, is that he's the one that's behind the difficulty. What will help someone who is a Christian is when you assure them that God is the one who is supervening, who is overseeing the hardship that they are in right now. Remember last week, wait on the Lord. They that wait on the Lord will renew their strength. You are pointing them to the one who is a father to them. And just like sometimes fathers bring into the lives of their sons and daughters difficult things for their benefit, we can be an encourager when we point people to the father who is behind it. Not just the one who is behind it, but notice here in verse 6, the one who is doing it out of love. Verse 6 says, For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, he disciplines, he trains, and scourges every son whom he receives. God says if you're a Christian here, if you're a child of God, you are going to receive his training. You are going to receive his discipline. You are going to receive his correction. And he's doing it because he loves you. Now some of you dads have probably told the lie before. When you took out the rod of correction, you said this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. That's not true. We know that's not true. But dads, good dads and good moms discipline their kids out of love because they know their child needs to be trained, needs to be directed, needs to be instructed in the ways of the Lord. And so they do it with a heart that is tender for the well-being of their child. And he says, God is the same way. God allows this discipline to come into our life for our good because he loves us. And what good is God trying to bring out of the hardship in our lives? Look with me at verse 11, will you? Let's actually start at verse 10. When he's speaking of our earthly fathers, he said, they, those fathers, our dads, for a few days chastened us. They disciplined us just for a short period of time after their own pleasure, what they thought was best. But he, for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. What he's saying here is God disciplines you so that you can share his holiness. It is for your good so that you become more like him. So that your character reflects his character. 
which tells me that if you want to be a good encourager of other people, of other people in your church body, is you're going to come alongside them and you're going to remind them about who God is. You're going to remind them that God is good and he loves them. You're going to remind them that they are the child of God and that God is bringing this into their life for a good purpose. You're going to come alongside them and you're going to point them to scripture that this is for their good because our God works all things together for good to those who love him. Because this is that we might be partakers of his holiness, but that this is, look at verse 11, that this will yield the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised or trained thereby. And so our encouragement to our brothers and sisters in Christ is going to say, don't step out of the path. Keep on going. Keep on walking through this difficulty. You can do it. And I'm here to walk right alongside you. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees to do this, friends, we're going to need a different perspective about our life in a local church, not a consumer, but a caregiver. We're going to need a God-given priority of loving others selflessly rather than focusing on myself and my needs and my interests. And the necessary practice is for me to understand the purposes of God, understand the character of God, truths about God, and then gently and in love reminding those in our church body who are struggling, who are discouraged, whose hands are hanging low, and whose knees are feeble. I want you to think again about that picture that we started with today. One runner collapsing just yards before the finish line and two runners who were already exhausted themselves picking her up, putting her arms around their shoulders and carrying her across the finish line. I want to challenge you this morning with just one practical thing. Before we leave today, would you just pray and say, God, Who's the one whose hands I need to lift up today? Whose knees are you calling me to strengthen today? Maybe it's someone in this room. Maybe it's someone, another Christian that you know. Maybe it's even someone in your family. But I'm asking you today, this week, and even starting today, when God brings someone to mind whose hands you can lift up and whose knees you can strengthen, wouldn't you do something practical for them that shows them, that points them to the Father who has brought in difficulty for their life, for their good, and trust that in the process, you will be strengthened too. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for this church. Thank you for the caregivers that just so mark the DNA of this body. Father, I am so grateful. I am so grateful for those who just live out what it is day after day sacrificially to lift up 
weak hands and strength and feeble knees. And yet, Father, we can always abound. We can always abound more in the calling that you have given us to be like your son, to come not to be served, but to serve and to give our life a ransom. I pray, Father, for those even in this room or within the sound of my voice who, who recognize that their hands are feeble, their hands are weak, their knees are feeling tired. Father, this morning, would you point them to yourself that you are a good father who loves them, that you have brought difficult circumstances into their life for their good, that they might share in your holiness in a greater way, that they might have righteousness, the fruit of righteousness that come through this difficult time. And I pray that they would be fully trained, they would be fully exercised in what you're doing in their life right now. Father, encourage them. And I pray, that, Father, for those whose hands feel strong this morning, whose knees feel steady in your strength. I pray, Father, that we would look diligently, look diligently at those who we can encourage. Let's pause and allow the Spirit of God to speak to us. Where is our focus? Where is our sight?